Kimberly English is the Vice President of Sales at Ascentium Capital. She has worked in the equipment leasing industry for over 20 years. She was working several jobs while going to college. She got her start in the automotive industry. She got married and then decided that it didn't make sense to continue college. She always developed relationships with the customers she worked with. Eventually, she got a break and became an assistant for the top salesman at her company. She developed thick skin early because she was a woman in a male-dominated industry. She always brought new ideas to the table and showed that she belonged. She always pushed forward and learned as much as she could. She has won many awards for her sales performances. Listen to the episode to learn how she moved up the corporate ladder. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash nodegree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Hey, welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today I have Kimberly English. Can you do a brief introduction of yourself? I certainly can. And I, I am so excited to, to have this opportunity to, to share some of my story and maybe a few things that a few takeaways that for young people that are getting involved in business or, or they're just getting their careers off the ground. But I'm what they call a sales VP for an equipment finance company. And we're a division of a major bank um, here in the United States. And we're what you call vendor focused. Our team calls on transportation and construction dealers to help their finance managers or their salespeople um, put together financing options for their customers. That might be over the road tractors and trailers, could be dump trucks, uh, construction trucks, waste trucks, all different types of large construction um, equipment, could be cranes uh, used to move dirt, excavators, bulldozers, that type of thing, Um, dig trenches, road construction equipment, logging equipment, that types of things. My position involves a working knowledge of customer credit reports, financial statements, various types of financing options, leases, loans, different types of equipment that you need to be kind of have a general knowledge of. And then also on the same vein, um, just a working knowledge of just the industry, you know, knowing the things to say to the dealers, what's important to them, how to strike up conversations, get to know them, develop those relationships and build their trust that they want to bring deals to you um, in the, with the confidence that you can get things done for them. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> a little bit of everything. A little bit. of You know, it's funny. My first interaction, I was actually going to buy a T-shirt printer. I think, was it this year? Sometime. I was buying a T-shirt printer. And I was, I, then I looked into it. I was like, wow. They're re-. Sometimes you don't think about these things. But you're like, wow. They're like people who just specialize in this area. So let's kind of take it back. How was high school like for you? And what did you want to become in high school? You know, I had kind of a, um, uh, my family background was a little bit of a struggle. My parents, the whole time I was in high school, were struggling a bit, both in their marriage, making changes, that type of thing. And when I was a senior in high school, my parents got divorced. So my senior year didn't go quite the way I would have envisioned it to go. I was an okay student. didn't have any real strong ambitions, except I knew that I wanted to do something business related. So my focus was kind of on accounting classes and and business type of things. Science was not my thing. Did you have any jobs in high school? I did. I worked in a retail store at a clothing store and that was kind of it. And then uh, actually my senior year in high school, I did work for in the accounting department of a clothing store and also worked for a lawn service company on Saturdays. 
So I worked a couple of part-time jobs. So what'd you learn from the first few jobs? That's an interesting question. I, I think that just showing up um, and being accountable, being conscientious about the job that you do, uh, you certainly learn You learn by mistakes. And, and I certainly made several because you didn't always have a lot of, it was always just on the go, on the fly kind of training. And so you have to learn from your mistakes and and learn to be accountable for things. Okay. So what came after high school? Like, what would you kind of want to do after that? Well, I knew I wanted to, to do something business-related. I thought it might be a, in an accounting type of position. And so I started to, I was accepted into college and didn't end up going to school full-time. And that was maybe my downfall, maybe not. Maybe things could have turned out differently, maybe not. But on the other hand, I started taking night classes. So I was going to school at night and also on the weekends on Saturday mornings. And then I started working full time. So I was taking counting classes and some other just freshman year type of classes. And so all I was basically doing was working and going to school and studying. And back then, we, we spent a lot of time in the library. What job did you have at this time while you were going to school? Was still doing those couple of part-time jobs. And, um, and working for the clothing store and also for the lawn service company. I believe I was working another part-time job. So I had two or three part-time jobs and then I was going to, to night school as well. Um, and then I started working for a wholesaler. I, I want to say it was a automotive paint body equipment wholesaler. And so I was working, um, taking orders over the phone, working with just all their products and everything and learning how, how you know, different sides of businesses work. And then I started from there kind of is what kicked off my career into the automotive fleet leasing business was I got a job working in the accounting department for an automotive fleet leasing company in the Cincinnati area. And then I was going, still going to school. Oh, wow. So when did you stop going to school? Well, I, I'm like a lot of other people. I ended up getting married. I met my husband and ended up getting married. And so then me working full time and going to school and studying and spending a lot of time in the library was not exactly very conducive to a new marriage. That marriage, then I ended up to stop going to school because I had taken on more responsibility at work and I started traveling. And so then it was also very difficult um, with all of the things combined to, to keep everything going. So you're doing all these things. Now, it seems like you're in the accounting departments, right? When did you make the transition to sales? Well, it was interesting because I was in this little position that I that started out in was just working, coding paperwork to set customers up for billing. And so then they had a, an opportunity to work in their collections department, working with some of their key accounts. And so I was calling the key customers and the key contacts with some of our larger customers and asking them when they were going to pay their bills, you know, if they were going to pay their bills on time, because it was very important to, to get the payments made on time. And I would go around and pick up checks sometimes around town to make sure that those bills got paid on time. And so I started developing relationships with some of our top customers. And the, the number one salesman, does, uh, he was so busy he didn't have time hardly to you know, to do additional sales. He was doing a lot of um, behind the scenes customer service type of work and everything. And he said, well, I need a secretary. I said, well, I'm a horrible secretary. I said, but if you will refer to me as your assistant, I would love to come to work for you. Well, of course, I already knew some of his customers because I'd been calling them on the phone asking them for money. 
And so they already had some confidence in me. I said, but if you will refer to me as your assistant, that way the customers will have the faith that they're not just talking to a secretary. They're talking to somebody that is going to get something done for them. Only one time did he refer to me as his secretary. But what I also learned in working with him was how to treat people and how to be forthcoming with information and straightforward with information and how to put together leases um, for automobiles, for companies, and how to spec out cars and just learned the business. And I just kept learning and kept taking on more and more responsibility from him and to the point that I was eventually able to move into sales and I took over some of his smaller customers with the company. And at the same time, just started, and that was where my vision started to be a salesperson, was just seeing how people could be successful, how people could make money. And I thought, well, I don't necessarily have to finish college to, I don't have to go back to college to be able to make some decent money doing this business, doing this job. So that's where I kind of, it kind of kickstarted from there. So what were some of the struggles that you had? Because I know sales is historically like a male dominated industry. And I know sometimes as a woman, it can like just be different, right? I know the auto industries, they tend to be a certain way, a lot of men. So how did you handle that? Well, and it was the automotive industry, but it was not the retail side of things. It was definitely the commercial wholesale side, but it was still very male dominated. There was another um, woman sales rep in the in the office that that did quite well for herself. So I I learned a lot from her. You know, I spent time learning from her, and I developed very thick skin very early. I let things roll off. I didn't allow people to push me around, but I also didn't you know take things. But I also brought new things to the table. I, I brought new ideas to the table. I wasn't afraid to introduce new things to them and new ways to do things, and. I was their first customer service type of position with the company. After that, they started hiring other sales assistants instead of just secretaries. So I kind of paved the way with that company um, in that regard. It just kept pushing forward. I didn't let things bother me and then just started to you know, do personal development and everything also, just read articles. And I just decided that I was going to be the best person that I could be. Yeah. So how did you improve in sales? You said you mentioned you read articles. What else did you do? First of all, I spent a year in sales with that company after I moved into where I had my own portfolio and everything and kind of stumbled around and I didn't have a lot of guidance, had some, but not a lot, but just, but, but had my vision. I saw myself as a salesperson. I knew I could do it. I knew I could be that person that was what I wanted to do and started interviewing for positions um, outside of the company because I didn't feel like I was going to get the support to be able to get there with that company to move forward. Once I got my position, I moved into a job with Budget Rent-A-Car and I had two and a half states. Um, so I was out in the field managing my own territory. And my first year with the company, I was number two out of 45 reps with the company. So was just continuing to do what I knew I could do. I joined a professional saleswomen's organization. I surrounded myself with some really great people, really great women. Um, then I did networking with them. 
Um, and at that time, when my company came back to me after I was gone for two years and asked me to come back to work for them. They saw what I did when I left the company. And they said, between what you know about our company and now the experience that, that you've gotten outside, now we'd really like to have you come back. And they made me an offer to come back to work for them. Then after I came back is when I took my first Dale, Dale Carnegie sales training class. And that was where I really decided that I needed a process to put to, together with my knowledge and my determination and my drive. And it was amazing what I learned. And then Dale Carnegie gives you the opportunity after you've taken their course to go back is what they call a group leader. And I went back several times as a group leader and helped other people come through the class and develop their sales skills at the same time, you have an opportunity to develop your own. So you you know you read the Dale Carnegie um, How to Win Friends and Influence People books and and all of uh, his techniques and everything. And they've they've t- certainly tweaked them and modified them over the years. But still, there are many things that I do today that are the foundation of what I learned you know back then. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of times sales, it comes down to, right, listening and the people interaction and knowing, you know, solving problems, right? That's just how sales has always been. I mean, now there are more tools to kind of make it easier, some tracking things, right? But at the end of the day, it's to support the core, right? Those are just tools to support a person. Now, what were some of the mistakes you made along the way? Oh, maybe by just over-promising things. I mean, my philosophy today is it has served me well for many years is to underpromise and overdeliver. I think that you overpromise things only a couple of times as a salesperson. And when it comes back and bites you, you don't do that. Um, you know, other mistakes are just, you know, early on when you're learning how to not put things in emails uh, or word things the, the correct way in emails and how you learn to read and reread things before you press a send button. Um, especially if you're heated about something. Um, but I think early on, you know, you, you get upset, you know, you want to go to bat for the company or go to bat for the customer and you pre- you're going to type out that email and you're going to send it. No, I, I don't do those. I don't do that anymore. Yeah. I think we all have those moments where we're like, ah, I want to, you know, and sometimes I, one of the techniques I've learned is write out that email don't have any email address in it. So you can't accidentally press send. And sometimes right. that, is relief enough and you know you're right that you shouldn't you got to be careful what you were because i've come across typically the gym sales people who promise you a lot of things and then later you sign up and you go and you're like no we don't do that anymore so as if you want something from a salesperson make sure you get it in writing (laughs) oh absolutely early on when when email was really first becoming big i forwarded a couple of emails that got got back to people and uh, you, <laughs> you just have to be careful of what's in that email string before you, you send something. No, that's definitely true. And you just never know where it's going to end up. So in your in sort of your professional opinion, you know, you've made some mistakes. What are some common mistakes that you see a lot of entry-level salespeople make in their careers now with all the tools and accessibility that they have? I think that one of the things that I heard um, one of the gentlemen say that on one of your other podcasts was taking advantage of the being especially when you're out in the field and you take advantage of the company you take advantage of the company's time and money um you there's always been those times when 
we've worked 60 hours a week and there's been those times that we work 30 hours a week as salespeople. But you have to know what your balance is. You have to be able to be accountable to your numbers. And chances are, if your numbers are there, your boss doesn't care how many hours a week you're working. But you have to make sure that you maintain a discipline. And in that discipline is getting up every morning. It's taking a shower. It's making sure that you you feel good about what you're doing, whether it's uh, my routine is getting up in the morning and having a cup of coffee and then I take the dog for a two-mile walk. It clears my head. I, I'm not on the phone. I'm not looking at my emails. And just gives me an opportunity to, you know, to, to get my day started that way. When I'm traveling, it's a little bit different. Um, but when I'm home, and I've been home so much for the past year that <laughs> it will be for a while yet. Uh, but it's, I think that you really have to get into a, into a routine, a set routine. So how'd you sort of adapt? Because now it's like, it's really changed, right? Like the road warrior is less common now. There are a lot more tools. People aren't at their company desk. You have to get their personal phone sometimes to sort of close these deals. How have things changed and how have you adjusted? Well, as a matter of fact, I changed jobs to this job um, in COVID. During COVID, in fact, last April, I joined this company um, because my company was in the process of just making, it was a New York bank that I was working for and they were under a lot of constraints and everything. And a few weeks after I left the company, they ended up laying off their whole direct sales force and their equipment finance division. So I was glad I made the change. Uh, but it has been learning my vendors. It's been just learning how to to get a hold of them and what's important to them. And the lady that, I, that is my boss that I interviewed with said, Kim, I have no doubt that you, you'll treat people the way you've always treated people um, as a salesperson, and you'll do just fine in this job. And I have, I've, adju- I've adjusted to it. My numbers are there. I'll do about $15 million worth of funded equipment this year, um, which is a little above our, our actual target. So it's, you know, I have done what she's asked me to do the past year. Wow, that that's amazing. Because it's some people, right, they're in industry so long that when things change, and I've seen it happen time and time again, where you're trying to work with some people and they're so used to a certain way. And it's like, hey, it's so much easier if you do it this way. Or, hey, you don't know how to do this. Like, you know, I'm part of several networking groups and we used to meet in person. And then now we went to Zoom. And there are some people who just never came on Zoom. And it's like, hey, now that is a common part of networking. You know, you can still do both, right? So that's something that I've seen some people just fail to adapt and they just sort of refuse to. So now kind of going back to your career, you know, you worked in equipment leasing. Have you worked in other sort of industries? Different aspects of what um, I'm doing now. And the equipment wasn't so much equipment when I first got started. It was the automotive fleet leasing industry. And what that is, is it's an automotive leasing company leases automobiles to corporations. My customers were everything from small like heating and air conditioning companies, um, plumbing contractors, um, engineering firms, up to large pharmaceutical companies or construction companies. So they the companies ranged anywhere from 10 vehicles in their fleet up to 1,500. So, it, and then what we would also sell is managed maintenance programs, fuel cards, um, accident management programs, anything that helped that company to make it easier for their drivers, convenience for their drivers, help them capture their co- and control their cost. 
And so we would help meet, we would meet with our large customers at least once a quarter to help them review all of their numbers, look at any outliers with vehicles that were costing them too much money, that type of thing. We would also help them put together specs um, for ordering their new vehicles for the upcoming year, for the next model year, and that type of thing. So a little bit of everything. It wasn't just, you know, putting leased vehicles out, out on the road um, for them. So then when I um, I was working for the company out of Atlanta and was managing my, my territory and my customers and everything, and I was more in of a customer service role, um, and I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but I was in a, a customer service role with them, then I moved over to their truck and equipment division. And that's how I got involved in equipment financing. And that was more of the tractors and trailers and the large equipment I was doing business with Fortune 250 companies, doing leasing of a lot of their like forklifts and their material handling equipment. Also doing, um, I did some large robotics equipment that went into a large manufacturing plant up in Michigan. So those kind of things. And long story short, when I left that company, then then I've worked for a couple of other banks and that type of thing since then. No, I mean, that's that's just really interesting to know because it's like... (laughs) So many different aspects of sales, right? Now, what's yeah. the Google sales cycle for dislike? Because it's I know that some of these contracts, especially when they're like a hundred vehicles, it's not just like, hey, you pick up a phone, hey, you want to rent a hundred cars from us, cool. How long do these right. uh deals take, like these contracts take to sort of move forward? Well, the old saying goes, timing is everything. And you could pick up the phone sometimes and call people and they're ready to make a move or make a change now, or they've got some equipment coming up that they're ready to order that they're taking bids on the financing of that of that equipment, um, or you could contact them and they say, "Look, we're not buying anything for a year." It could be a long period of time from your initial contact to the point that you make contact with them and you want to stay in touch with them so that they remember who you are and they at least get you on an RFP list or they call you to see, you know, what you might be able to do for them when they're ready to to make that change. So it could be anywhere from you know, immediate to a year and a half, two years. Um, but sometimes you, you just have to, to stay with it and, and contact them. Now, what I'm doing now is a little bit different, uh, but equipment is very hard to get right now. There's a shortage of equipment in the marketplace, whether it's construction equipment or tractors and trailers and dump trucks, et cetera. It's just a real shortage of equipment. And so I'm funding trucks right now that have been on order since the beginning of the year. Wow. And so this is October. So they've been on order for nine or 10 months. So that's a long time from the time that the trucks actually get in, have bodies installed on them in some cases, and then, then they're delivered to the dealers. Yeah, I spoke to my dealer and he was saying parts that he would normally get in two, three days. Now he's waiting like three, four weeks. And I think my dad was in the process of building a house and I was like, hey, what's what's up with the house? He's like, hey, we can't get the materials and stuff for this new house. Right. So it's a it's a very different time frame. And I know it's like that's something that you have to manage to your client. You kind of have to let them know. And unfortunately, it's just it is what it is. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So now looking back, right, you've had a wonderful career. What would you say is your biggest accomplishment? I think that some people measure accomplishments by maybe the biggest sale or the something that they really did uh, personally. But I think that we as women, and this goes to your focus on just women and how women are trying to balance things, 
um, in the workplace these days, especially when you're a wife and you're a mother and you have a small child or a young child and you're trying to to balance. You all, That was one of the things that I struggled with the most was that work-life balance. And I'd have my husband's calendar, I'd have my calendar, and I have my daughter's calendar. And then I'd tell my customers when I could come see them. And it was just always a real challenge. And now I see my daughter who has finished college She's finished her master's degree. She's applied to med school. She's waiting now on med school applications. And I look at that as my biggest accomplishment, that I really was that mom that was able to, even though I don't have a college degree, but I was able to raise her to value that to, you know, to do what she wants to do. And she she drinks science. So <laughs> there's not a lot of things you can do without a degree in the science industry. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a little bit it's a little bit different. So I, I look at that as and you know, and being married for 26 years, you know, and, and being a mom, you know, of a successful daughter, and you know, I have no doubt she's going to do well for herself. And, and that to me is my biggest accomplishment. No, that that's amazing. I mean, it's right. We do you set the role, you set the standards, and you know. Planet Mexico is no joke, so good luck to her, and I hope she gets yeah. the, uh, the ride. <laughs> I'm just along for the roller coaster ride, by the way. <laughs> and it will be one. So now, what about in terms of professionally, right? So that's, you know, obviously, you know, your family, super big accomplishment. That's not easy to sort of manage. What would you say from a career standpoint, what would you say was your biggest accomplishment? I've had some some big sales. I, I've done some... Um, I, I financed a couple of really big pieces of equipment. Those couple of pieces that I mentioned to you were about $5 million in two pieces of equipment that went into that plant. Uh, I also sold a, a maintenance maintenance fuel card uh, program to a company up in North Carolina that I they were one of my customers, but it was my responsibility being on the customer service team to keep and grow those customers. And that meant selling additional services and continuing to renew their fleets and their their um, their leases with us and everything. And I just kept meeting with them and kept giving them their reports. And I would say, I would show them their reports that had blanks in them because they didn't have any data from us. They didn't have any information from us in regards to their maintenance spend and their fuel cards and things like that. And I kept saying, well, look, if you were on our programs, you know, we would have all this information in here and it just smile and and just leave it at that. And the one time that I did that, the decision maker said to me, he said, well, your timing might be good. He said, there's some changes taking place in the company right now. And it might just be the, the perfect time for us to take a look at this. Long story short, I did a lot of homework. You know, I brought my, my boss back. We did a presentation to them presented all of our, our facts and everything. At the end of the meeting, he looks at me and he said, well, he said, what's our, he said, you know, what's our next step? He said, if, if our next step is to go to your Chicago office and meet your Chicago team, he said, that I think we needed to, to get on the company plane and go up there. I said, well, by all means, I'll, I'll be there. You just let me know when I need to be there. So I drove up to Greensboro, North Carolina, and I got on their company plane, and we flew to Chicago, and and we wined and dined them, and presented them, uh, you know, everything up there, and they met all of our, our our staff and our team there, and 
we got the business. And I did about a million dollars worth of business with them that first year, just in addition to the business that they had been doing with us. So it, it was a nice accomplishment. Wow, that's amazing. And you know, you bring up a good point. A lot of times in sales is making their life easier, right? Because let's say they had a person Absolutely. internally who would manage that stuff. They got to pay that person. They got to do that. They got to manage that. Now it's like your team manages it. You already have a process and a system for doing that for many companies. You already have a person on staff kind of doing that. Makes it easy for them. So a lot of times if you're in sales, figure out a way that you can add value. That's, I mean, I work with a lot of customers and making their life easier. Once you take something off their plate, it just makes sense. You have to be able to demonstrate value. I mean, because if you can't demonstrate value to them, they don't need you. Yeah. So what would you say was the hardest period of your life that you went through? Breast cancer. Oh. Um, So I was originally from Ohio. Um, I moved the, the with the company that I went back to work for that had called me back after I had, had worked for Budget Rent-A-Car. I, they moved me to Florida and I took over a Florida territory for them that they were really struggling with. So moved there. Um, was down in the Florida market area for a couple years, um, went to work for another leasing company. They offered me an opportunity to move to the Carolinas. So we moved, and I'm in South Carolina now, but they offered me an opportunity to move to the Carolinas. And so I made the, we made the move. We sold our house in Florida. We made the move to the Carolinas. We got here, and I had been diagnosed with breast cancer right before we left Florida. And about a week before the moving truck, loaded all of our stuff on the moving truck and moved here. So a week after we got here, I ended up having surgery. So between then, I also went through treatments and everything else after that. So here I am. I've just made a major move in my life. I've just gone through breast cancer and I've taken over a new sales territory all at the same time. So the depression sets in after that. So I remember crying to my oncologist and saying, what am I going to do? He said, well, there are pills that we can put you on to get you over this hurdle. So, and I said, well, this is only going to be short term because there's nothing that Kim English never been able to overcome before. She could overcome this, but right now I got to get over this hurdle. So that was about six months worth of just, you know, a very mild antidepressant and was able to put myself back on the mend. And that was 15 years ago and um, cancer-free today. And that's my story. But that was one of the hardest things in my life was just to uh, be able to let go of certain things and not be that control freak um, and want to control everything that certain things had, I had to let go of certain things um, and just you know, focus on the things that really mattered. No, I mean, thank you for sharing that vulnerable moment because a lot of times, right, in sales, it's a tough industry. Compared to other industries, it's like tough. Like it's just the numbers and sales leaders tend to be brutal. Like, hey, you didn't hit the numbers and they tend to not take excuses. So kind of going through that and then kind of, and also having a career and kind of getting to a point where like, hey, things are different, what's wrong? And, you know, kind of realizing that, hey, you do need some help. And sometimes that help is what you need temporarily. And Right. Because there are so many people who kind of go through that and they just don't realize that, hey, they need a little help to kind of get through this moment. So I really appreciate you sharing that. You're welcome. So now, how has sales sort of changed for a woman over your career? Because I know now it's a lot more organizations. There are a lot more women in sales leadership organizations and leadership positions. So can you expand on that a little more? 
Well, I think that uh, sales opportunities for women have really improved. I say that, but on the other hand, you have to be a woman that is willing to balance a lot of things when you're in sales, especially a saleswoman that if you're going to be married and, and have children, and I, I think there are a lot of women that walk away from sales jobs because they don't want to be away from their families. They don't want to travel and and they don't have a husband that, that can then help with the family and, and everything else while while she's away, you know, when there's children at home. So it's it that is still very challenging. And I don't know that there's always an answer for that. But there are a lot of sales jobs that you can do that don't involve travel. There are a lot of sales positions nowadays, certainly, that are from home, that you're not you aren't traveling. But there you still again, you still have to be able to balance and cut off that, you know, the family's things too and get into a routine and a schedule. And through this past year, it's been certainly uh, an anomaly, yeah, to say the least. But I think that overall in, uh, in sales, I think that saleswomen are a lot more respected today than they ever used to be. I think that um, when I first got involved in sales, I had men say to me, what do you know about cars? What do you know about leasing? What could you teach me? And hung up the phone. Said so I just had to learn to laugh, hang up the phone, and move on to the next one. But that was a long time ago. Would that happen today? Probably not, but maybe. You know, you, you don't know. Um, there's still people that treat people pretty rudely. Yet today, um, people that, but there's also voicemail that people hide behind in emails that they don't respond. So it used to be years ago, they would pick up the phone because they never knew who was going to be there. But now they can screen calls and, and everything else and hide behind emails and voicemails. But I, I think overall things have improved, but I think that, that women still have challenges just because if they're in a, a you know, career oriented and their family oriented as well, I mean, it's, it's still a juggling act. I think it's all also important to have a, a a good support network. Yeah, definitely. As a sales people in sales, they need that support network because I know sometimes clients are not available at a certain time. It's not like, hey, I'm going to block out this time. Sometimes that's the only time that the client has to meet, and you sort of have to make it work. So you have to kind of shift around things, and you need a supportive a supportive system that can sort of help you do that. Because at the end of the day, the numbers right. have to sort of get made and. You know, it's it's kind of hard to sort of explain to someone in sales like, hey, I can't hit the numbers because of X, Y, Z. Now, was there ever a time you felt insecure about not having a degree? A little bit, but uh, I haven't been in a position over the years where I was in meetings where it was all about who was from what colleges and things. And there were times when when I was at networking events and people were talking about Oh, in the Carolinas, especially like Clemson and, and South Carolina, and are you a Gamecock fan or a, a you know a Clemson Tiger fan, uh, that kind of thing? So there are times, but I have always been one that just said, "Kim, don't let it, don't let it bother you. Just keep going." In that regard, no. But on the other hand, there have been times early in my career when it certainly did affect me because I had recruiters that wouldn't talk to me because I didn't have a college degree. As you got more experience, it became less of an issue? Correct. But it had to be, but it pretty much had to be in my field. And I had to show that I was successful in my field because it, without a college degree, then they didn't have anything else to really sell another company on. 
And when I got my job at Budget Rent-A-Car, I interviewed for a lot of sales positions, but I had limited sales experience. But there were companies that were willing to talk to me without a college degree, but it wasn't any company that came through a recruiter because the recruiters at that time wouldn't talk to me because I did not have a college degree. They wouldn't help me. So interesting. So it was the recruiters who did not give you a second chance, but the companies themselves, once you got in front of them, they were sort of more open. Certain certain companies were open to it, correct. They were, oh. open, they were open to looking at the right person versus some of the companies that the recruiters represented, especially if it was a pharmaceutical field or anything like that, they wouldn't, they wouldn't take anybody that didn't have a college degree. Now, what advice would you have for someone in high school right now that they're thinking about sales? What kind of job should they get as the first job? What are the steps that you take? First of all, help coach them or, or hopefully they could connect with somebody that could help coach them as far as what's important to them. What do they want to do with this first job? Do they just want to go flip burgers? Do they want to work in a retail store? Do they want to work in a hotel? What's close by to them? What's convenient for them that they could get to with their, their means of transportation to be able to go and get a little bit of job experience? Maybe that job experience is just working up at the local restaurant or something, but, but take that local restaurant position and learn how to work with people. My daughter will tell you that one of her first jobs or her first actual job was working for Publix, the grocery store chain, as a cashier because she said, mom, I didn't realize how much that I didn't really talk to people or work with people that I didn't know very much. And she said, it really helped me those several months that I worked there my senior year between you know, January and August when she left to go to college, how much that helped her. So I think you need to, maybe kids need to look at what they want to accomplish out of that, that first job. Don't just maybe look at it as a first job, but look at it as trying to get some experience doing something. And I always say, try to create a little bit of a vision for yourself. And where do you see yourself? You know, if, if you don't really want to go to college, then what are your options? What do you want to do? You know, the average tradesman right now in this country is 55 years old. We need tradesmen. It doesn't matter whether it's a woman or a man. There are plenty of positions available for women in construction positions. And you don't have to have college degrees. They'll train you to work on a big bulldozer just the same as they will a guy. And let me tell you something, a big bulldozer is pretty high-tech stuff these days. And so it's, it, you've got to, you have to learn how, how to do those things. And so I think that giving kids today access to resources to try to help them decide what they want to do and where they want to go and what they want to be. Um, and, and to take it one step further, if you're going to go to college, what are you going to take? And how much is it going to cost you to take those that four years of college? And then if you're going to go into debt, if you're going to go into the student loan debt to get that education, what is your earning potential with the positions that you will possibly get from that college degree? And how long is it going to take you to pay that back? Because there's so many college degrees out there right now that these kids can't find jobs. So they've just now gone and spent $100,000. They've gone into debt and now they, they, don't, they can't get jobs. 
And okay, they got a college degree. That's great. I would have loved to, you know, maybe had that check mark by my name and gotten a few more doors open to me through those recruiters. But in the long run, I didn't. And this was my path. But, you know, those kids have that college degree, but what are they going to do with it? So I would really like to see, you know, the, the schools, you know, offer access to some more resources for these kids to help coach them as to what they want to do. And a lot of the high schools I have found out in networking in the construction industry are not very open to allowing the construction and the trades to come into the high schools because they're measured on how many kids in their their high schools go to college. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an unfortunate thing because I see that there's so much opportunity. I, I spoke to someone and they mentioned how they the trade schools are full. They have to turn down projects because they don't have enough workers. And there's so much opportunity. And the beauty it's beauty of these careers is there's a lot of different opportunities within them because you can work in that area and then you can get a sales job within that area, right? Like once you kind of work on these these pieces of equipment, you could you know how these equipment works. You know what kind of project they're good for. So there are a lot of opportunities. So it's always good to right. kind of explore the different options. And you know, you gave some great advice that you have to be strategic. Like if you are going, have the plan because whether you're taking about fifty thousand or a hundred thousand. A lot of people don't realize, like, even if you earned 80000 after you pay taxes, you have expenses, realistically, you can only pay five to 10000 a year, right? So if you're only paying five to 10000 a year and after interest, it's not, you know, it may take 10 to 15 years and that's 10 to 15 years that you're not saving. And there are all these factors. So, you know, make sure I think sitting down is something that a lot of kids and parents sort of need to do because, you know, the cost, how, how much was tuition when sort of you were kind of going to school? I, I remember it. <laughs> it wasn't even the cost so much. It's just that time commitment for yeah, me yeah. that was the rough part of it. But I want to say $500 a semester or something, you know, maybe not even that much. Yeah. I mean, obviously things were cheaper then, but maybe yeah. it's 2000 a semester if you after you count inflation. But yeah, it's, it's very different. I mean, the textbooks right. cost more than 500 a semester now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but But I also think that Kids can't be afraid if they if they do their homework and they say, this is an industry that I really have an interest in. And maybe it's the construction industry and it's working for some type of a construction company. And maybe, maybe you just get a job in a, as an office position, but it helps you get your foot in the door at that company. And now you've got an opportunity. Now you can learn as much as you can learn about the company, about the industry, about what makes those, you know, those road graders, you know, important to, you know, and how, how, how finely trained the people have to be. And maybe you say, that's what I want to do. And now you've been that loyal employee that's been coming to work every day, showing up, been dependable, been very willing to learn and now you're you're saying to the management of that company, I want to do something different. I want to learn how to go out in the field and work with the with the um, the construction supervisors or or learn how to work that piece of equipment. Um, or I want to be that electrician. Well, guess what? Guess who they're going to train first? They're going to train you. That's just, you just can't be afraid. Some of these kids just want to go in making fit that fifty thousand dollars right off the bat. Well. Stay at home a little while longer where you, you know, living at home with mom and dad and you're not paying rent and take that, that little lower level job 
but take the opportunity to learn and, and grow from there. And, and you will, you'll be, you'll have a skill set that a lot of other people don't have. And and don't just leave that job for a quarter more an hour to go to the next job. Yeah. No, I think that's something a lot of people don't realize. Like there are very few points in your life where you have an opportunity to learn and you're, you have that time and you have the flexibility because once you do get married and you do have kids, it's a totally different ball game that you have a timeline like, hey, I need to make X a month because those one, two, three years of learning kind of set you up for the rest of your life. And you don't, the only time you only get that maybe like 20 years after your career, after your kids are growing up, maybe you might get right. that, right? So now let's sort of come to, you know, as we wrap up, What's something that you really want to talk about that we haven't discussed already? I think the things that I just um, explained are the kind of things that I really wanted to make sure that that I brought up is that whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, especially being a woman, don't play the I'm a woman, I, I deserve this kind of card. Go out there and earn it. Go out there and work hard um, because if especially if you're a salesperson and you stand toe-to-toe with a man and your sales are the same as his, guess what? You're going to be making the same money as him. And there's not, none of this, you know, oh, well, I make less money than, than he, he does or I don't have the opportunities. And um, don't feel sorry for yourself. Just go out there and work hard and you be the best person that you know how to be. You can, there's all the, the self-development, you know, the soft people skills courses that are out there. Um, they teach them through LinkedIn. There's lots of different ways to, to learn things that way. Um, online, many different um, training sessions and everything. There are the Dale Carnegie classes. There are the Sandler Selling classes. Sandler Selling is a big investment, uh, but I've gone through it. And believe me, it's it's amazing also. But it's a lot of different ways that you can be the best that you can be um, without you know playing the poor me card. Every time I hear that, it just it, it makes me cringe. No, and look, obviously there's some biases and all that, but the beauty is is that there's so much more opportunity nowadays. So if you aren't getting what you deserve and you do have the numbers, go to another company who will give you that, right? There, oh, there's absolutely. plenty of companies now. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Uh, but I think that you have to earn, you've got to earn it. <laughs> yeah. The beauty of sales is you can go straight up to them. You can say, Hey, I sold this much. I'm number this. I deserve this much. I know what the commissions are. I know what the present. And it gives you a lot of negotiation, right? Compared to other things, because in other areas, like if you do the accounting reports well, it's hard to say, like, I do the best reports or I do this, right? Sales, you have the numbers. The numbers are your friend. So develop the numbers. And the beauty is you can, once you develop those relationships and that book of business, that sort of goes with you. And the other thing I kind of want to highlight is, taking those low-level jobs is you can get the training paid for, right? Because a lot of these companies, they have these exactly. training programs and you can learn without paying anything yourself. Exactly. And that's what I was talking about is you, you take those lower-level lower jobs and then all of a sudden you become that really you know, devoted employee that, that, that is somebody that they can count on every day. And now all of a sudden you want to go out in the field and you want to learn something else within the company. They, they will give you that opportunity and and there that's the training that you're talking about that they will pay for yeah now as we come to close how would people get in contact with you well i'm on linkedin under kimberly english you can certainly private message me i don't think i've got it turned off that you can't send me a message people message me all the time so i'm i'm certainly very responsive and i'm active in on linkedin so that'd be probably the best way to reach me 
Thank you so much for your time, Kim. You shared so much great info. Thank you. I know that the audience has got tons of value. We'll definitely keep in touch. I look forward to you know seeing you accomplish many more things. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so you got no degree, no problem, no problem, any problem, we can solve them, LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, growing in the knowing, wisdom is flowing, if you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, if you didn't know, now you know, let's sing that again everybody, no degree, no problem, any problem, we can solve them, Insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in a knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.